Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, and I hope you are doing well today. I hope it has been a good week for you. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Sunday on Hebrew Nation, um, then wherever your week falls, or Shabbat Shalom, wherever it may be for whenever you're listening, um, Either way, I hope things are going well for you and that you and your family and your loved ones are happy and healthy. Um, we are just so excited to be coming to you again with another uh, show this week. So if it's your first time checking out Image Bears Radio, thank you very, very much. Hope that you enjoy the conversation. And for those of our uh, listeners that are listening faithfully and check out uh, what's going on from time to time, thank you guys so much for coming back. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. This week, we are in Parsha Re'eh. Before we jump into the Parsha for this week, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father is in heaven. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. We are so fortunate to be able to be together, to share your word. And I just ask that you bless everyone whose ears are hearing this today, Father, with health and with blessing as we seek your face. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, just want to say before we jump into the Parsha for this week, if you did not catch last week's um, episode, uh, we were privileged to have Hanok Young from Modain, Israel. Um, Hanok is uh, an, an incredible uh, tour guide and uh, has not worked since March of last year with uh, the COVID stuff and, and with everything. And, um, but more important than his occupation as a tour guide, for me, uh, Hanok has basically spent his life as a traditionally believing Jew, an Orthodox Jew, uh, reaching out to uh, Ephraim, to the Lost Tribes, to, to those of us who did not grow up Jewish, um, but find a love for Israel, for the Jewish people, and for the Torah. And um, I love Hanok Young to death, and he brings some really valuable insights uh, to what we can do better as uh, as you know non Jews pursuing the Torah, uh, what we can do better to come together with the Jewish people, and uh, and I just I really value his conversation. Last or his input last week, we had a conversation about tradition, uh, one that we're going to pick up again at some point because we we really didn't cover um, all that needs to be said. I just wanted to mention that 
and ask you if you missed it last week, please go back and um, and check that out. I think you'll really enjoy it and really be be blessed by it. Uh, and follow Hanok on you know his social media stuff and and all that. He's a he's a wonderful guy. Um, and so please go back and and check that episode out. So. Uh, we did not cover Parsha Ekev yes, uh, last week, um, but we are in Re'e this week, and um, Devarim is just, I mean, it's just one thing after another. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's action-packed, kind of, and we've talked about kind of what Devarim is and what the, what, how we should approach it, some different ways we can approach the book, and um, in this week's uh, Parsha Re'e, meaning uh, to see or, or see as an imperative kind of uh, command, see, hey, look, you know, kind of thing. Um, we find that these next three uh, partio, uh, which is Re'e, Shoftim, and then uh, Kitetse, um, is really where the bulk of the commandments are found in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I think I said whenever we started Devarim a few weeks ago um, that you would think it would be kind of like a, a, a comprehensive overview of all of the commandments and things, and it's it's really not that as much as it is um, really a heart, a book about the heart and a book about loyalty and about um, faith, but faith not as in the way maybe we typically think about it, but faith as in that actionable, um, consistent, believing loyalty. And so um, these next three partioed is where we really kind of get the, start to get the individual commandments. And um, I'm not going to get this figure exactly right, forgive me, but uh, Deuteronomy actually adds, I want to say something like 200 mitzvot into the, the total count um, that we have not gotten in the Torah. So I think there's a review of about 70, and then there's like an extra 200 added. I think those numbers are close to right, maybe not, so don't don't pin me to that, but... Um, it, it's interesting how the book does what it does. So um, these commandments are going to start to come up. And, um, you know, up until now, we've read in the book of Deuteronomy uh, up to the, we're in chapter 11, now 12. Um, these first 10, 11 chapters have really been um, kind of general. Uh, and they've been, but they've been so intense. I, the book of Deuteronomy for me this year has been less of a let's study it kind of verse by verse and word by word and more of a let's just read it. Let's just read it because over and over um, we have things like Shema, right? Listen, hear O Israel, um, and about really being careful to follow the commandments with all of your heart and then being written on your heart and teaching them to your children. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Shema and the Vi'ahafta that we have in chapter 6 is kind of right in the middle of these first 11 chapters. And it's, it, it almost is chiastic, um, so that everything in this kind of introductory part is, has been really about being loyal and being faithful from your heart. Not, not just because of things you, you know, you do or don't do, but really your mind being renewed and being all about God and following His Torah. And so in the beginning, we've kind of had general, um, you know, challenges, not challenges, exhortations, I guess, uh, against idolatry. Um, and Moses has had a lot of inspirational, you know, kind of um, sermon type, you know, things. His kind of last, last hurrah, right, for the people before going into the land um, and, and, and really challenging and, and pushing forward their duty towards God and their, their obligation to live up to the holiness um, of the land. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, and so we begin this in chapter 11, verse 26, with the word re'eh. 
Um, See, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, where we heard this before, this uh, we've we've heard this before, but we'll hear it again. Um, this is the uh, Har Bracha, the Mount of Blessing and Curses, right? That we'll hear about, uh, and we have read about already. But verse twenty-seven, just as in a, a kind of a summation, the blessing um, that you hearken to the commandments of Hashem your God that I command you today, and the curse if you do not hearken to the commandments of Hashem your God, and you stray from the path that I command you today to follow other gods that you did not know. Now, one of the things that I've struggled with, Devarim, this year, uh, in this Parsha cycle, and uh, I would love to hear if anybody has an an answer or just a thought as to why this is, Um, but Moshe is, uh, is relaying this book of Deuteronomy, as as he's speaking this book of Deuteronomy, again, as the sages say, um, that he he basically spoke the entire book of Deuteronomy uh, in the last five weeks of uh, before his death, in his last five weeks of, of life. And um, it's interesting to me, the, the I never realized this before, the tone and the, the, the way that Moshe addresses his speech uh, and, and her speech is, he is addressing... Uh, the new generation, right? He's addressing the, the second generation after the first generation died off in the wilderness. He's addressing the new generation that would actually take the land and fulfill the promise. And, and yet Moshe continually brings up the past things, the challenges that they've had, the, the struggles with loyalty, the doubt, the fear, the grumbling. Uh, you know, several times he said, you know, God did this on account of you, whatever. And, and, and he, but he's addressing the new generation as if they were the old generation. And I, I can't find a really good explanation for why that is. Um, we've talked about it just kind of locally here in our, in our own, in our fellowship. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, some of these people may have been alive, uh, you know, cause it was 20 and over, they were probably were alive. And so they got to see some of the things of their parents or, uh, it just, it struck me really hard this year. And it, and it does strike me really hard this year, just the, the way that he's speaking to this generation, like they were the ones that actually did all the wrongs that actually their fathers did, their mothers and fathers did. So it's just an interesting way, I think. I don't know why it stuck with me this year, but it is. So if anybody has any, any insight on that, I'd love to hear it, you know, comment on the archive uh, or when we post it to our Facebook page or whatever. Um, I'd love to know kind of what you, what you think. Um, but here he begins this um, this this speech and, and begins to putting putting the commandments in perspective. Um, and he, he talks about the, the choice, the blessing and the cursing, right? Of whether or not to accept the Torah and be loyalty and, and, and be loyal to it. And the way this verse talks about this in verse 27 is interesting. He says, the blessing that you hearken to the commandments of Hashem, your God, that I command you today. So the way this makes it sound is that the blessing is actually hearing, hearkening to the commandments. Um, and then he says in verse 28, and the curse if you do not hearken to the commandments and you stray. So there's a blessing in hearing, and, and hearkening is not just, um, you know, it's such like an old English word or whatever it is, but, um, but to hearken is not just to, to hear, like Shema is not just to, you know, like, oh, listen to the, the crickets or the birds or whatever, but it's to actually listen and take action, and hearken is the same, hearken is a call to action, right? Um, and so this blessing and curse, um, there's, a, there's a note in the Chumash that says, um, 
about the, the idea of, uh, of blessing and cursing. He says, that you hearken, in verse 27. It says, the blessing will come to you only on the condition that you hearken to the commandments. That's Rashi. Homiletically, hearing is a metaphor for blessing because the only way a person can attain God's blessing is if he has the ability to hear. Or, or in other words, assimilate what the Torah wants of him. And I think that's really important um, because we have looked at uh, other uh, other commentaries and other things along the way uh, through the the Torah this year, talking about um, you know at Sinai at Sinai. Um, of course, the Jewish tradition says that every Jewish soul was present at Sinai, um, which you know cool. Um, but that the that the Torah was given in in seventy languages, so that every representative people group um, could have heard the Torah, did hear the Torah in their own their own language. And so there's, there's a reason for that, uh, as explained by both Jewish and Christian scholars. And, and the, the main idea there is that, so the nations could never look at Israel and say, well, if God would have given us a chance, a shot at the covenant, if God would have given us, you know, if he would have delivered us with, play, with, uh, with miracles, you know, through the plagues, if God would have, have sustained us in the wilderness, if God would have shown himself in his might and his power on Sinai, if he would have done like for Israel what he did for us, then we would have done a much better job at keeping fidelity to the covenant than Israel did. And so God, God speaks and, and everyone hears in, in their own language so that nobody can say, well, we don't know this Torah. We don't, we, you know, we've never heard of this or, or anything like that. And there's also instances um, throughout the, the Tanakh where um, where you can tell that, that God is doing things with other nations. Um, the Bible doesn't really focus on those things that much because the Bible is laser-focused focused, excuse me, on the nation of Israel and on this particular journey. And so it doesn't really focus, but there's a, there's a, 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 a comment about how um, the, the nation, I think it's Assyria, the sin of Assyria has not fully come, you know, come to fruition or whatever it is. And, and then, so it's this idea that like, well, God must have been working with those people, doing something. God, he had to be doing something with them, right? And, and so this idea of hearing that we all are accountable for what we hear. Um, and, and let me just go back really quick to the first word, see, re'e. Um, I, he says in verse 26, see, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. This goes back, and, and another thing that I've really been hit with pretty hard this year as we've read through the Torah, but especially uh, through Deuteronomy, is this idea of our faith being something that is, our faith can be strengthened and should be strengthened and should grow as a result of consistent evidence in who God is and what he's doing in our lives. So this, as opposed to the idea of blind faith or the idea of, um, you know, leap of faith, which all, all those things are both important and they both have their place. So I'm not, I'm not shoving that off, you know, and saying, well, no, it's not that at all. I'm saying that we, um, we have tended in, in, in certain traditions to say, well, um, you know, how dare you need to have proof from God or how dare you, you know, question God or, or whatever. And consistently over and over and over through the last few partiot, especially in Devarim, God consistently says, look at what I did. Look at what I've done. 
remember, right? Remember the things that I've, that I've shown you. Remember what I did for you. Remember when I took you out of Egypt. Remember how I carried you through the wilderness, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, here, he's saying, look, look at what's going on around you. Look and see and, and, and choose the right way. Choose blessing because of what you see, because of the proof that he has given, given to you. And I just want to encourage, you know, anybody who's listening, somebody who's listened, that you need to really take some time and turn the volume down on the rest of life uh, because life can get really noisy. Uh, maybe log off of Facebook or Instagram or Rumble or whatever you're on. Maybe turn off the news or turn off whatever you're watching on TV. And maybe you just need to, to mentally take some time and look at your life. Look at what's going on. Um, look at the things that you should not have made it through. Look at the, the, the circumstances. Look at the relationships that, um, that maybe you know, almost destroyed you and yet you survived. Look at the health issues that you have, have come through. Um, look at you know just so many experiences that so many of us have that we we get through and we maybe never think about again or we don't we don't understand and so we just kind of push them off the corner of our minds and yet I want I want us all to take a moment this week as we study Parsha Re'e and I want us to Re'e I want us to see that every single day every moment we have a choice between the blessing and the curse one of the things that um, that I, it just grieves me so so heavily uh, when dealing with you know when dealing with with people is this idea that that we don't have any accountability for our actions. So in the you know in some traditions it's it's this idea well like you know I, I gave my life to Jesus so life's supposed to be great, and in reality we know that's just not that's not the way life works. It doesn't take anything away from Yeshua. It doesn't take anything away from, you know, from his power, from the power of the spirit, uh, from his kingship, from his victory over death in the grave. It doesn't take any, just because life tends to be really challenging, it doesn't take anything away from the, the power and kingship of Yeshua. Um, it doesn't take anything away from the omnipotence of God. Um, it's just, it just is where we are. And we can try to explain it, but why? Why spend energy trying to explain it? I think what the important story of the, the Bible has been for us at OAM and for me the last year or so, a couple years, has been that God is a partner in life. God does not want to take us outside of this life. He is a partner with us in the things that we're going through, in the things that we're dealing with. Instead of trying to explain them away, why don't we just try to live them well? And, and I know, I mean, it can be, some of you have maybe catastrophic, you know, crisis going on in your life and say, well, how, you know, how dare you, uh, you know, try to say live this well. You don't know what I'm going through. I, I, I get it. And, and without being too offensive or anything, I've, I've been through many of those things myself. And, and I, I always try to explain them away. And we try to, to, to make sense of things when maybe it's just, it's just God wants to be with us in the moment. And he wants us to choose him in the moment. And what is that? That sounds really churchy, choose him. What does that mean? Well, see, there's a blessing and a curse. A, bless if we, a blessing if we hearken, when we listen with an intent to do the commandments, the mitzvot that he has commanded. Um, and the curse if we, don't, if we don't hearken, if we don't listen. He goes on to say in verse 29, It shall be that when Hashem your God brings you to the land which you come to possess it, 
Then you shall deliver the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Eval. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan, far in the direction of the sunset, in the land of the Canaanite that dwells in the plain, far from Gilgal, near the plains of Moray? For you are crossing the Jordan to come and possess the land that Hashem your God gives you. You shall possess it and you shall settle in it. You shall be careful to perform all the decrees and the ordinances that I present before you today. So there's a setup in the end of chapter 11 for chapter 12, which has to deal with the sanctity of the land. And I always find this really interesting, that, that possessing of the promise is inextricably and undeniably linked to keeping the commandments. There's no, that you can't read it any other way that I, that I can see. That he's talking about, you know, speaking the, the blessings and the curses on, on Gerizim and Eval. And he says that you, when you cross to possess, you'll, you'll possess it and settle in it being careful to perform all the decrees and the ordinances. This is, this is part of it. And so for me, the, the Torah is a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, but it is, a, it is a governmental structure for Israel in, in this time. But it's the structure of Eden, I think, is what's the most important. It's the, it's the, uh, the Musar or the, it's the, uh, I can't think of the word right now, forgive me. But it's the, the attitude, the heart of Eden it's the Eden quality that is the Torah, which teaches us how to love God and how to love each other, right? So as we get into chapter 12, we start talking about the sanctity of the land. These are the decrees and ordinances that you shall observe to perform in the land that Hashem your God give your forefathers, uh, or God of your forefathers has given you to possess it. Again, that the, these words over and over, all the days that you live on the land. And he begins to talk about the destroying the places where there's been idolatry in the high mountains and hills, the bemot, the high places, uh, and breaking altars and, and, and cutting down the, uh, the images and all those things. In verse 4, he says, You shall not do this to Hashem your God, rather only at the place that Hashem your God will choose from among your tribes to place his name there. Shall you seek out of his presence and come there? And there you shall bring your elevation offerings, your olah, uh, your feast offerings, your tithes, and what you raise up from your hand, your vow offerings, etc., etc., and then uh, and and your flocks, and so this is about high places and stuff. And we know that um, the tabernacle moved from places. It was in Shiloh for 369 years, I believe it is, uh, and then you know King David brought the ark to Jerusalem, and there. But eventually, the name forever will be in Jerusalem. So let me say something really quickly about the name. And if you've listened to this program for any amount of time or, or watched our live streams, you know uh, my attitude on the, the name. Um, that we fight over a pronunciation of the name, which, in my opinion, we have completely and utterly, completely missed the point of the name when Scripture talks about the name. Um, do we think the name is some kind of incantation? Um, is, is this magic, magic? If you believe in magic, right? This is not magic. It, it's not. It's not whether you say Yehovah or Yahweh or Yahuwah or whatever. It. We get so caught up over this pronunciation, when his name has to do with his character, has to do with his authority, it has to do with his reputation. What he's talking about here is him coming to a place, coming to a place where he's going to place his name. Not to worship on all these high places and these mountains and hills like the like the existing people, the Canaanites, etc., do, but to have one place, one unified place of worship where it is his capital, 
It is the king's capital. It is his palace, which we eventually will be the temple. And it's, it's not about speaking a name phonetically correctly so that God will move or God will bless. That's such a, uh, it's such a shallow, in my opinion, you know, discussion on the name. It's much more about being in unity and honoring where he chose to set up his residence as the center of this Edenic government. This, this restoration of Eden in the center where his name, his character, his authority, and his reputation uh, are and the seat of his, his enthronement is. And that, again, would eventually be at Jerusalem. So all this talk about loyalty and uh, possessing the land, and we have verse 7. He says, you know, we talk about doing, being careful to do the mitzvot and, and, and worship at one place. And verse 7 says, Then you shall eat, therefore... Uh, eat there before Hashem your God, and you shall rejoice with your un- every undertaking you and your households as Hashem your God has blessed you. All this talk about loyalty and worship and stuff, and then there's this verse about eating. What is going on? Why is this verse here? We're going to talk about it a little bit more right after the break. Don't go away. everybody welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so we have this uh this intro about blessing and cursing right in in the end of chapter 11 intro to this partial rather uh in the end of chapter 11 about blessing and cursing and then we move into this chapter 12 where we're talking about the sanctity of the land and about altars and high places and things. And, and God is telling everybody, I want you to clear all that junk out, and we're going to consolidate worship at my palace, the place where I put my name, uh, where, where Shekinah dwells. And this passage from verse 4 to 7 is really interesting, um, talking about where they're going to bring the offerings and where they're going to bring uh, you know, all these different things. And then verse 7, as we read in the end of the last segment, you shall eat there before Hashem your God. And you shall rejoice with every undertaking, you and your households, as Hashem your God has blessed you. I made this statement several times. It's not original to me. It's one that I, I got from, from Joe Good. And I, as I, every time I think about this statement, I just it, it amazes me over and over and over again. And we talk about uh, the Torah, and often I'll say, you know, let's use food because it's low-hanging fruit, no pun intended. Um, but... Food is an easy, the dietary instructions are an easy way to talk about Torah because food is so, you know, it's so important to our everyday and it's something we interact with all the time, right? And yet the statement that Joe makes is that, you know, in in the Torah, food eating is the highest form of worship. I mean, think about that statement. Um, that here in this this whole end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, this discourse about um, about how to possess the land, how to inherit the land, and and the introduction to, to kind of more explicit commandments. Um, we get this thing about the offerings, and what is the point of the offering? Well, first of all, I have 
I have almost 100% cut out the word sacrifice out of my vocabulary when speaking about uh, Torah or about biblical things. And I would encourage you to, to take a think on this. Um, the idea of sacrifice that we have, that the sacrificial system um, is indeed one that God expected us to, expected the Israelites to come and give up all their stuff. He, he wanted them to come and give up what they had, give up, you know, and, and in a sense, hurt them for the sin that they inextricably commit. And, and that's the view of kind of the sacrificial system from a, a lot of, you know, traditional places. And this idea that we have to bring an animal or something has to die because it should be us that dies. And, this, and, and, and maybe part of that is, you know, part of the, the thought process of God and the thought process of the, the, the priest and the Israelite people, the Hebrew people. Um, but, but every time this idea, the, the sacrifices and stuff are, uh, are talked about, the, the word in Hebrew is karban, K-O-R-B-A-N is transliteration, karban. Uh, I think there would be kufresh, bet, noon. Um, karban means to draw near. And so it kind of just the very definition of the word flips our idea of sacrifice on its head. And what is the idea to draw near? It's to draw near, and as he says in verse 7, to take these offerings, present them to God, and then the, the priest get a portion of some, uh, the bringer, the offerer gets a portion of some, and there's to be communal meals in, the, in sacred space, in the tabernacle or the temple, um, with the priest before God. And, and just this idea of food, think about the place of food in your life. Think about the place of food in, in all of our lives, whether you're American or wherever, you're, wherever you are. Every culture places a premium on food. I mean, we have Food Network, right, here in the States. Um, we have Cooking Channel. I mean, every mor- local morning show, right, has a cooking segment every once in a while, um, local, local cuisine and whatever. But food is so, so incredibly important to, to us and to our, our lived experience. Our lives revolve around food. I'm going to ask you a really personal question. <laughs> I'm going to get all in your business. I don't mean to, but think about how we eat. Think about how you eat. Um, do, are you a person that eats according to the clock? Like, oh, well, it's noon. I, I'm, you know, it's time to eat. Uh, are you a person that eats emotionally? Man, that's a tough one. Um, eat because you're bored or eat because you're frustrated or eat because you're nervous or anxious. Uh, eat because you're depressed. Um, are you one that eats because of social pressure, peer pressure, and, uh, you know, or just all the different, the different things? Um, do you really think about the food that you're eating? Or are you, or is your schedule such as, you know, we're a family of six, we've got four kids, our schedule is absolutely nuts. Um, and so a lot of our meals are just, let's just grab something and go. And we just don't give that much thought to food um, in the sense of as an act of worship. And yet in the Torah, that's exactly what eating is. Eating is, is, is the highest form of worship because it's done in the divine presence with, with offerings that people have brought of their own hands, and, and whether it's of the, the field or of the herd. And this idea of eating is so, so incredibly important. And I'm going to have Joe, try to have Joe on in a couple of weeks um, to talk about just this idea of food and, and eating as worship. Um, because it is, 
I think if we really thought about it and did and did some research on it, we would find that it's a way deeper topic um, than we ever ever considered. And I just find it interesting. I, I'll, I'll stop beating this dead horse, but I just find it interesting that it is said like that in verse seven here at the end of this this part. Um, so he goes on in verse eight to to say, you know, you shall not do everything like what we do here today. Rather, every man uh, what is proper in his eyes, for you uh, have not yet come to the resting place of the heritage of him your, Hashem your God gives you, uh, and cross into the, the Jordan. Uh, he goes on to talk about personal altars. Uh, verse 11, it shall be the place where Hashem your God will choose to rest his name. There you shall bring everything that I command you, uh, all the offerings and things like we talked about. Uh, verse 13, he says, oh, I'm sorry, verse 12, you shall rejoice before Hashem your God, you, your sons and your daughters. Verse 13, beware lest you bring up your, uh, your, uh, your elevation offerings in any place that you see. Um, and so this is really the starting to get into the, like, no, we're not going to have private altars. We're not going to have private, you know, things and all that. So <clears throat> this is a really important, um, uh, important topic. I know that there are some in the Hebrew Roots community, um, especially each year at Pesach, that have been in the practice and, and have the practice of slaughtering a lamb for Pesach and then placing the lamb's blood on their doorpost. Now, I, I want to be very, very careful about this, that, but be very frank as well, that that is absolutely, unequivocally, 100% not allowed and not sanctioned by the Torah. Not, not at all. So well, they did it in Egypt. Yes, they did it in Egypt. And then after they got out of Egypt, one of the first things that God said was, hey, like, we're not doing this anymore. Let, let's not do, that was good for then, but for now, everything comes to the tabernacle to be handled by the priest, the blood has to be manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then here again, we get it in Deuteronomy, this idea that no, you don't do what's good in your own eyes all by yourself. He says over and over, right? He says, verse 14, rather only in the place that Hashem your God will choose among one of your tribes, and you shall bring your elevation offerings there. And this is talking about general offerings, or olah, burnt offerings. But we, we have this idea when we come into Torah that, oh, we'll just read it, and then we just interpret it like we want. Um, every, as I said last week with Hanuk, we have to remember that every time any one of us reads the text, any time we read, I don't care if it's Torah, prophets, writings, the Psalms, uh, the Gospels, the New Testament letters, the book of Revelation. I don't care what part of the Bible you're reading. Every time one of us cracks this book open and begins to read, every single time we are engaging in interpretation. You are interpreting as you read the scriptures, period. It's just the way that it works. And we can't separate, or it's very hard to separate ourselves from our interpretive process. And so, what we have to do is we have to we have to realize that we have that prejudice and that that you know that leaning that propensity and what we've done sadly is that we've brought um we've brought you know not so good uh reflection on our on what God has done in us in the Torah community in the Hebrew roots community by by just by not giving understanding to other interpretations that have gone before us. It's very, very clear that there is, there, you cannot, we are not allowed, period, full stop, 
we are not allowed to offer any animal to God except for one place, and that is Jerusalem, period. I, I don't, I mean, yes, beforehand, Abraham did it, Isaac did it, Jacob did it, Noah did it, you know, Cain and Abel did it, and other places, yes. But there is a progression in Torah that is moving the nation towards Jerusalem, towards the, the Har Habayat, the Temple Mount, and the Beit HaMikdash. There is this progression where God says, okay, like no more individual altars. Now you're going to do everything together as a community here. And I just wanted to bring that out. It's very, very, very hyper clear that what we're doing and, and what the reason why we're, I think, is it's so detrimental for people that are, and they, and they may not even call it a sacrifice. You know, they may not call it the Passover offering, whatever, because it's not. Um, they may or may not. I, I don't know. I've just I've heard these stories, and I I want to just mention it. Um, it. It what it does is it it brings criticism from the outside world for sure, um, from from Christians, from Jews, from from all over the place. And you can say, well, they just don't understand. No, I think we don't understand. Though <laughs> are those that are that are doing this. That um, and I'm ta- not talking about Yeshua doing away with sacrifices. I'm talking about just the plain reading of the Torah. That is not to be done, um, because again, this these offerings that are brought to Hashem are they're very specific for very specific purposes, very specific times, and and they are to be done according to very specific um, you know ritual and and commandments, and, and so just. Anyone that you see doing that or that you hear about doing that, I'm not saying to go correct them and, you know, and shoot them down or whatever. Um, but what I'm saying is, is think about it and, and know, know, know your text, right, and know why we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing things um, that way. So I said I was going to stop beating the dead horse about eating being a, an act of worship. But lo and behold, I can't because the Torah goes on to talk about it itself. But um, the, the idea of verses 15 and on about the permission to eat, um, different kinds of meats, different different places, different foods, different places, um, and uh, there are there are certain uh, kedusha, certain holinesses that are are uh, attached to certain types of offerings, and those offerings can only be eaten uh, in certain places, and um, so it's it's said that at Shiloh. Um, where the, the tabernacle stood again some 360-something years, um, that in Shiloh, if you could see the tabernacle, you could eat the holy offerings. Um, so there's a mountain, a set of hills around Shiloh. Uh, you could be on the top of those hills, and if you could still see the tabernacle, then you could eat those, those offerings there. If you went on the other side of the ridge, um, you could not. Uh, and so these different, this is what this explain, is explaining in these next few verses. And, and there's one verse that I want to I read really quickly because this is a shock to, to many people. Um, verse 17 says, uh, In your cities you may not eat the tithe of your grain and your wine, your oil, your firstborn, your cattle, your flocks, your vile offering, etc. Verse 18, Rather you shall eat them before Hashem your God. In the place that Hashem your God will choose, you and your son, your daughter, your slave, your manservant, etc., etc. Um, verse 18, beware for yourself lest you forsake your Levite and all, your, all the days of your land. Um, the, the, the funny thing about that, not funny, but the, the shocking thing about this, I remember reading it for the first time several years ago and thinking, wait, my, I always give my tithe away to somebody else. What does this mean, you may not eat your tithe? What? What is this talking about? 
and that actually we don't really understand tithing. Um, we understand as like 10% of my, uh, my you know, income I give away, uh, either to the fellowship, church, charity, whatever, um, you know, or, or divided out between ministries or whatever. And that's, that's great. I'm, and I'm not throwing shade on that. But when we talk about the biblical tithe, um, what we do most of the time today is not the biblical tithe. It is a tithe because tithe means 10. Uh, but it is not the quote-unquote biblical tithe. The biblical tithe had to do with agriculture and with livestock. And the tithe that you have, that you save, the 10% that you saved, was for you to eat in the presence of God with the Levites and with the rest of the people of Israel. Again, this is, it's about eating, it's about food, it's about rejoicing uh, and having covenant meal before God and with each other. And so we don't even really understand tithe in the, in the temple sense. Um, and that's what the tithe is. The biblical tithe is, a, is something that's tied to the temple. So what's, and I'm going to be really super controversial here. And um, people get nervous when I talk about, you know, when I talk about some of this stuff. But um, <clears throat> when we think about things that are tied to the temple um, that we don't do today or we can't do today. Uh, well, the first big one is probably offerings, right? Well, we don't do offerings, sacrifices, um, because that's only for with a standing temple, and we can't we can't do those things today, right? And yet the tithe is is only tied to the temple. So why do we do that today, um, and why don't we understand it a little better? And I know we have Abraham giving a tithe to Mel- Melchizedek. I get that. And like I said, the tithe ten uh, percent is a tithe. That's what the word means. Um, but when we talk about, uh, and especially this, this really gets my goat whenever um, pastors and ministers and, and people try to manipulate the idea of the biblical tithe for blessing, um, when, when no one is actually giving the biblical tithe. Because to give the biblical tithe, we have to have a temple and we have to have um, a Levitical priesthood and we have to have agriculture and we have to be eating it together. And, and we actually get to enjoy our own tithe. It's not just something we give up and sacrifice and say, well, I gave it to God and now he's going to have to do it. No, like we get to partake in that. So it's a little different story than maybe what we were taught about tithing. And it would warrant some further study if you're interested. Um, and then we'll finish up chapter 12, verse 29. When Hashem your God will cut down the nations to which you come and take possession from them before you, and you will take possession from them and settle in their land, beware for yourself lest you be attracted after them and after they have been destroyed before you, unless you seek out their gods, saying, How did these nations worship their gods? And even I will do the same. You shall not do to Hashem your God, for everything that is an abomination of Hashem that he hates, they have done to their gods. For even their sons and their daughters have they burned in the fire for, of, uh, for their gods. Um, so, you know, just don't come accustomed to the, the people that you come into contact with. How many times do you get a new job? And you end up being like the people that you work with, et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, there's a thousand, this is, this is a great Sunday school lesson, right? Or like youth group or children's lesson. Um, but it's a great lesson for us as adults as well. Uh, and then I want to get into Devarim 13. This is where we're going to spend the last few minutes that we have um, here in, in this episode. Uh, this is the false prophet chapter, right? This is what everybody knows as the false prophet chapter. Um, he says in, in verse 1, uh, the entire word that I command you, you shall that you shall observe to do, 
uh, you shall not add to it nor subtract from it, which is another theme, another phrase that we hear echoed throughout the book of, of Devarim. Um, the entire word, you shall observe to do. And then verse 2, if there should stand up in your midst a prophet or a dreamer of a dream, and he will produce to you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes about of which he spoke to you, saying, let's stop there, what, what determines who a prophet is? Well, it's obviously not miracles and signs and wonders. That's not, that's not what determines what a prophet is. He goes on to say, quote, Let us follow God, the gods of others that you did not know, and we shall worship them. Verse 4, Do not hearken to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer of a dream, for Hashem your God is testing you to know whether you love Hashem your God with all your heart or with all your soul. Hashem your God shall you follow, and him shall you fear, his commandments that you observe, and to his voice shall you hearken. Him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave. And that prophet and that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, for he has spoken perversion against Hashem your God, who takes you out of the land of Egypt, who redeems you from the house of slavery uh, to, make you, uh, to make you stray from the path on which Hashem your God has commanded you to go, and you shall destroy the evil from your midst." So what determines a prophet? Uh, depending on what your background is and what your tradition is, uh, I grew up Southern Baptist, as I've said, you know, a hundred times, and prophecy was not something that we really focused on. That was, you know, we were cessationists, and that the gifts and stuff, you know, ceased when the closing of the canon. And, um, and so, but then I got involved into more spirit-filled, more charismatic, you know, Pentecostal, full gospel type um, circles, and prophecy is, is, is the everything. I mean, to have a speaker come in that's, that is, is either labeled themselves or, you know, whatever, a prophet is a huge deal. And I mean, the altars are packed and people line up for night after night after night, um, hoping to get a word from God or a word from the prophet or, or whatever. And um, the, just this whole idea of prophet and prophecy, um, we have really perverted, in my opinion, in the modern day in the modern Christian world, um, we've completely and utterly destroyed what it means to be a prophet. Um, the, 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 the scripture is very, very clear here. God is very clear that there are people that, is a, that are prophets. They're dreamers of dreams. Uh, they can produce signs and wonders. Cool. I mean, if somebody produced a sign or wonder for, for you, um, how, how, you know, hard would it be not to believe them, right? If somebody is doing, you know, unnatural or supernatural stuff, it'd be really hard not to believe that person. So the, whether a person can produce a sign or wonder or has dreams or whatever or can give you a word, quote-unquote, that doesn't make them a prophet. The test for being a prophet is whether or not that prophecy or that sign or wonder or whatever encourages you to keep the commandments or not. Now, for those of you that have experience like I do in, in spirit-filled circles, how many words of prophecy have you heard or been given or whatever um, that have anything to do with um, pushing people to be obedient to the commandments of God? Um, many times in, in issues of health and healing, you know, prophetic words are given that you know, God's going to touch you, you're going to be healed, he's going to touch you right now, receive it, whatever, you know, that thing, however that thing goes. And yet, there's no, 
there's no admonition from the prophet about, you know, your the way you treat food is wrong. And and there's there needs to be some readjustment in your life according to the commandments, according to the scripture about how you view food, and what food you're eating, how you know, whatever. Um, about substance abuse, about all these these different things. But how many times do we get a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge that where the it's actually pushing us to the commandments? It's usually soothsaying and, and things like that. And I'm not saying the gift of prophecy is gone. I, I, I believe the gift of prophecy is alive and well as a gift of healing and, and et cetera. And yet we don't have a good foundation and a good understanding for what these things were really about. And so any, any prophet, quote-unquote, um, you know, a lot of people want to be a prophet, um, but they don't want to be a biblical prophet. They don't want to be a Jeremiah. They don't want to be an Isaiah. They don't, they don't want to be a Malachi or Hosea. They don't want to be those guys, right? They don't want to be a Hosea. What, I mean, the prophet wants to drive around in a really nice car and wear really nice suits and have an entourage and, you know, blah, 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 and all this, this stuff. Hosea, God said, hey, go marry a prostitute. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to Israel and, and teach you about who I am through this you know messed up marriage and kids that are not yours et cetera et cetera. What where's that prophet today? Um, where where's the prophet that stands up and and just defies all current Christian you know uh, dogma and and just says no like this is this is not right. This is the word of Hashem. This is the word of God. And actually stands up and is a prophet. Um, prophets in Scripture were were despised by the kings and by the governments. They were run out of town. They were they weren't these you know they weren't these prosperous like you know glitzy glamour. Oh, it's just nuts. It's nuts. So be careful with prophecy. Not that it's not good and valuable and right and from God. It is. Uh, but we have to qualify it. And the only way we know to qualify it is by the qualifications that the Torah itself gives to be pro-Torah and pro-commandments. All right, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I love you all very much. Pray that your uh, family and your week continue to be well. Until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom.